0: Beyond with my Kelton Season 3 is brought to you by Happy Buddha Hemp. Happy Buddha Hemp has my all-time favorite CBD gummies that I literally cannot live without. All the details on my fave nightly treats and sick discounts are coming your way, Carol. But for now, let's get this episode started, shall we? So I did what you do when you're crying, paralyzed, and freaking out. I called my boss. I called her and told her everything. I told her everything that had happened, and she was surprisingly low-key on the phone. But I somehow knew deep down that this moment was going to change the rest of my life.
1: He was a flapper in a past
2: life. He's a comedian in this life. Got a podcast about it, everything he loves magic, magic. Psychics. Psychics. Mediums. Astrology.
0: hi. I'm Mike Kelton, and you're listening to Beyond. welcome to Beyond. Today, we're talking about astrology. And to start things off, I want to tell you a story. Now my 20s were a confusing and scrambled decade, which is normal, according to Refinery29. I went to school for theater, if you can believe it. I graduated in 2009, at the height of America's financial success. I toured the country with the non-equity tour of Hairspray, and after a couple thousand ponies, I realized theater wasn't what I dreamed. And at the ripe age of 23, I retired from theater. So after a couple weird-as-hell jobs, one being a bar mitzvah dancer, yep, I was a bar mitzvah dancer. I finally landed at a gym, David Barton Gym. And for those of you that don't know what David Barton Gym is, it's the gayest gym in America, which is why I loved it. Now, by the time I was 24, I got sucked into gym sales. And at 25, after making way too much money selling gym memberships, I quit. Cold turkey. Because loving money that much scared me. And I didn't recognize myself in the mirror. My body looked like a teenage mutant ninja turtle. I was cut as hell, and it was terrifying. Anyway, I quit. I did learn some sales tricks during that job, but the biggest takeaway for me was the friends I made during my time there. I sold memberships to a lot of really good, nice, and out-of-shape people that would eventually become lifelong friends. And one of those people was Lauren. Lauren came into the gym one evening in mid-January 2012, wearing a large camel hair coat, a cute theory blouse, well-tailored YSL pants, and very nice patent leather shoes, even though it was absolutely snowing out. And the most memorable quality about her, she has incredibly thick and beautifully blown out blonde hair. Honestly, we loved. She seemed like a boss-ass bee, but also a little frazzled and overwhelmed, so I was like, girl, I can relate. And Lauren and I immediately connected. She was a Leo, I was an Aquarius, a match made in the Big Dipper. We chatted about theater, movies, and acting. I found it interesting that she was in an acting class at the time and told me all about it. But what she was not really telling me was that she owned her own very successful corporate law firm right there in Chelsea. She was kind, she had good energy, and she joined the gym, duh. We became friends. A couple months after I quit the gym, I get a friendly email from Lauren. She reached out to tell me that she loved my recent YouTube vid, and she asked if I knew anyone who could be her personal assistant. And I looked back at my Gmail, and babe, here was my response. Great to hear from you, Lauren. Life is good. Been a little crazy with the switchover, but all in all, pretty great. P.S. What would the schedule be like for your assistant? If it works out, I could do things for my iPad and such. I might be great. Dot, dot, dot. Your life would just be a bit gayer. Smiley face. Want to grab coffee and catch up this week? Now, I don't really know why I said this. I'm a theater major who literally just quit his job doing sales to follow my dreams. And here I was again, inquiring about a job that really wasn't what I wanted to do. But I liked her. And a week later... I was Lauren's executive assistant. For the next three years, what started as a side hustle for a friend became much more. If you ask anyone that has ever been a personal assistant, it really becomes a life-consuming task. It's something that's sometimes fun and sometimes not fun at all. Within a year, I had found myself in that all-too-common predicament of staying with a job I didn't like because it paid the bills. I hated working at a cubicle under fluorescent lighting in a corporate law firm. I was not the most organized person, and nothing brought me less joy than coordinating lawyers travel to and from law conferences. But on top of that, what added an extra layer of complexity was that Lauren was my friend. Who was at my 25th birthday in Vegas? Lauren. Who went with Lauren to Iowa to help her clean out her grandmother's house when she passed away? Me. And who would frequently sneak out of the office with her, go to concerts in Brooklyn, drink a lot of beer and dance the night away? Me. So leaving would not only affect my financial situation, but it also would affect our friendship. That at this point was pretty strong. And I always wondered if she knew how I was actually feeling. But then I would receive emails like, I couldn't do this without you. And I was like, oh, she has no idea. I wanted to quit so bad, but I didn't. Over these three years, I wrote multiple emails offering my resignation. But babe, I saved them all in my Outlook drafts. What I did send was an email after my second year asking for a raise. I was so deep in, I thought that more money would solve my problems. I got the raise. She gave me more money than I asked for. And now I was absolutely stuck. There was no way this kind, fun, and successful friend was going to understand me telling her I wanted to quit after all of this. So I stayed. The last year, I was working out a lot because I was so sad and the endorphins were almost like absolutely necessary. I found myself in a relationship with someone who was also in a relationship, which is something I thought I would never do. But there I was, 27, with no direction, not following my dreams, in a bad relationship, and sad. So, it's the last weekend in June 2015. It's Gay Pride Weekend and also Del Close Marathon Weekend, which, for those of you that don't know, is a 72 hour nonstop improv comedy festival. And the fact that both of these things were happening at the same time is absolutely insane. I'm at a bar with some of my friends who happen to be some of the funniest gay male improvisers in the world. One of these guys brought up that it was really unfair that there was nothing at DCM specifically for the gays on this Gay Pride weekend. So I, being my people-pleasing self, had an idea. This weekend, I was house-sitting Lauren's apartment. And the building had a great communal rooftop space. So I thought... Why don't I invite this small group of guys to Lauren's rooftop for an afternoon DCM Pride crossover Kiki? Now, house sitting in Lauren's apartment was an incredibly normal thing that I had done quite a lot over the past three years. But while I have had friends stay with me in the past, I had never had a Kiki. But I thought if it's on the common rooftop of the building and we keep it small and leave before sundown, everything should be fine and chill. So I invited these five friends over and their tank tops, and they came to the roof. That group of five became a group of 11, but still a cute group of gays on a roof on a Sunday afternoon in late June. We shared beers, champagne, and sat around on these lush couches sharing Subway sandwiches and stories about bad dates and good dicks. It was fun and harmless. About 7 p.m., I decided it was time to wrap it up. Because we wanted to be respectful and get the hell off the roof. We cleaned up our beers and champagne bottles, shoved them all in plastic bags, put the rooftop patio furniture back the way we had originally found it, and we waited for the elevator. The elevator came. The doors opened. Someone made a joke about how we were all skinny bitches and we could definitely all fit in. So we did. We all squeezed in, finally, after some shoving and nudging. And then... The elevator door is closed. The elevator starts going down. And I watch the red letters above the door go from R to 10 to 9. And then we stop. We stop somewhere between 9 and 8. And then the guys start freaking out. And then I hear a loud buzzer sound. And then I realized... Fuck We're stuck We are 11 gay men in tank tops With jingling bags of champagne bottles Stuck in my boss's elevator My mind starts racing I'm housing my boss's apartment I didn't tell her I was having people over It's Sunday night There's one elevator in the building And it opens up literally into the apartments These people are very rich And they're going to be very angry We are 11 tipsy gay men in tanks and booty shorts With tons of recycling Somewhere on the other side of someone's gorgeous living room Fuck what do I do? Now, in my mind, there's got to be a quick fix. Hit the help button and someone from somewhere will remotely press a button and the elevator's going to keep going and everything's going to be fine. Turns out that's actually not how it works at all. We call the button and a human answers and says, hi, we, the elevator company are not open on weekends. So you have to call the fire department. First of all, Can you fucking imagine being an employee that gets paid to sit in an office, pick up a phone, and say, hi, we're not open today, call someone else? That's insane. Secondly, we did call the fire department, and they kept asking if everyone was okay, to which everyone started making jokes, which makes me crawl down deep into my soul and freak out even more. I was having a full-blown panic attack while these very smart and funny gay comedians were making very good jokes at the time that, to this day, I cannot remember because I was blacking out. 45 minutes go by, nothing. Nothing. We call back and we get a lot of sass about how the fire department prioritizes fires and not gay men in elevators, to which I reply, "Babe, this is a hate crime. 30 minutes later, we hear a loud, violent bang on the elevator door, almost like a giant was on the other side, smashing it with a hammer. At least that's where my brain went. Then we realized they were using an industrial crank to literally break the elevator door open. We were sweaty, sassy, and some of us were still making fucking jokes, which is why what happened next was even worse. What's the worst thing to add to an elevator full of gay men? Five large, handsome firefighters. (laughs) Five handsome firefighters open this door to which a couple gay men go, oh my god, hey girl, yes, love it, and I'm freaking out even more. Then one of them screams Get out of the elevator Walk out down the fire escape stairs So one by one We walk out Tank tops, booty shorts, grocery bags Full of jingling empty bottles of champagne The door is broken and open Into a neighbor's apartment We walked out of their apartment And started down the fire escape stairs In the middle of the building And if that wasn't enough every tenant in the building was standing outside their door screaming at us who are you what apartment are you from why are you here what were you doing on the roof you have to see that this was a luxury co-op building with no more than 20 tenants in the entire building it was two apartments per floor as we scurried down the staircase i met one man in particular who was yelling as if we had just killed his dog Who the fuck are you? And what apartment are you in? I got some words through my tears. I said, yes. Hi, my name is Mike Kelton. I'm apartment sitting for Lauren in 6F, and I'm really sorry. We finally got out to the street to find not one, but three fire trucks. Why they brought three fire trucks for one elevator, I will never know. The gaggle of gays now set free into the New York City night, and they scattered about, and I was left in front of the building with a bag of empty champagne bottles and an iPhone that was about to die. I'll never forget this moment, standing there, crying, feeling ashamed, embarrassed, scared of what Lauren would say, worried that I would lose my job, worried that some guy who lived in this building was literally going to beat the shit out of me. It was a lot of feelings. I felt paralyzed. So I did what you do when you're crying, paralyzed, and freaking out. I called my boss. I called her and told her everything. I told her everything that had happened, and she was surprisingly low key on the phone. But I somehow knew deep down that this moment was going to change the rest of my life. The next week, I was fired. She was extremely pissed because. The elevator thing became more of a co-op thing, and a New York City co-op thing is truly something I never want to experience. And I didn't tell her I was having a party. It was disrespectful. The tenants were pissed, and rightfully so. We got stuck in their one elevator on a Sunday afternoon, and they had to deal with a broken elevator for, I think, at least a week. There were pregnant women in this building. There were people that had to walk upstairs with their full things of groceries or whatever they were doing. We took out their elevator. I fucked up and I was fired. And what made it worse was that my friendship was over. When I was fired in that office, I packed up my things from the cubicle in that corporate loft in Chelsea and I walked out knowing I would never set foot in it again, which I actually loved. Once I got out to the street with my boxes and many bags and desk plant, I was somehow overcome with like energy and life. I felt energized for the first time in three years. I had no savings, no phone, because it was a corporate one, and I had no idea how I was going to move forward. But I felt fucking lit up, invigorated, like I was had just read The Secret. It was bizarre. Six months later, I broke up with my boyfriend, the one I had met earlier in not the best way. I moved out of our apartment that we had just moved into together into a tiny studio with a bathroom inside of the kitchen. I was living off of unemployment. I started to just focus all of my energy on stuff I actually loved. I started being completely honest with myself about pretty much everything, not having to lie to myself about a job that I knew should end and a relationship that was complicated and an unhealthy addiction to working out would all come to surface in this time. And what do astrologers call this time? They call it your Saturn return. Okay, today's episode is all about astrology. Now, astrology is something you might be familiar with because of the horoscopes you read in the back of Us Weekly or trash bag Astrology you follow on Instagram. But actually, astrology is a very old and to some extremely viable tool used for the past couple thousands of years as a way to navigate personal relationships, emotions, and huge life choices. In fact, if you look it up, more world leaders than you think have used astrology to govern, which has made a real impact on real people's lives. And even though we joke about it all the time when Mercus is in retch, a lot of modern culture has been influenced by the stars. But today's episode, we're focusing specifically on the Saturn return. So what is the Saturn return? Good question, Carol. It's always Carol. When you were born, Saturn, the planet was in a specific spot in your astrology chart and it takes 28 to 30 years to make a full revolution and return to that spot and when it returns to that spot the planets and stars will make sure that your spirit is on track to complete the lessons of this lifetime because saturn is the planet that rules your seventh house which has something to do with your life i think Saturn will famously fuck with your shit and harshly bring you back on track. And if you're on track, it may do a couple fun tweaks to help things come together. Or as Oprah says it, the universe will whisper, and if you don't listen, it will scream. And on today's episode, we're going to learn a little bit about what the return to Saturn is, and if maybe I'm relying on it a bit too heavily to justify some tumultuous times in my late 20s. Or, if in fact, this stuff is real and happens to literally everyone. Like a midlife crisis, but earlier and directed by the stars. But before we go any further, let's have Stephanie Iris Weiss, a world-renowned astrologer and writer of Surviving Saturn Returns, a book about literally what the title is, explain what the hell the Saturn Return is.
1: Okay. So Saturn takes 29 and a half years to go around the entire Zodiac. So when you were born, it's in a particular sign and at a particular degree of that sign. So every sign has 30 degrees. So um, for you, Saturn was in Sagittarius. Mm -hmm. And then... 29 and a half years later, it returned to Sagittarius. Mm-hmm. So um, so that is why we call it the Saturn return. That's, that's really all that it means. Saturn is returning to the place where it was when you were born. So all of the karma, you know, all of the instructions, all of the lessons that you came in to learn, because Saturn is a planet of lessons, mm-hmm. um, come back up again for you in this just, you know, all-consuming exhausting way that can feel like a black boot on your back if you don't know what's happening but when you do know what's happening it it can be you know i hate to use the word empowering because it's a little cheesy but really that's
0: okay i like i like that word okay Yeah.
1: yeah i mean it can be just deeply over you know empowering and 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 helpful
0: stephanie went on to explain why we have these saturn returns what they mean and how they're different for everyone
1: Saturn really wants you to learn lessons that you came here to learn. Everyone's is going to be a little bit different, right? Mm -hmm. Because Saturn could also be opposing someone's Venus. So it could be specifically directed to relationships. Mm -hmm. Saturn could be, you know, on your Mars, which could make you very angry. Like, you know, everyone is going to have a really specific version of it. That's why it's always good to come and get a reading. Mm -hmm. It's always helpful to just generally learn about where your Saturn is and how it'll make you feel. Even if you don't know what house or sign, like even for a person who doesn't know their birth time, just knowing that they have their Saturn return, there's so much that you can glean from that. Definitely. But but yes, a 12th house is a really deep, 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 deep version of a Saturn return.
0: And now a word from our sponsor. Carol, my spirit guides have a message for you. Just kidding. They had nothing to do with this, but I genuinely want to let you know about some of my fave new things that have made my life and sleep habits a bit more chill and vibe worthy in the past year. CBD products from our season three presenting sponsor, the iconic Happy Buddha Hemp. I've been truly obsessed with the full spectrum CBD gummies for a while now, and I gotta say, sleeping through the night is an absolute vibe. It's made me more alert during the day and brought my general anxiety to an all time low, which is a vibe. If you haven't tried CBD products before, don't fret, Carol. I was also a noob when I tried Happy Buddha hemp products and I quickly found the perfect dose for me. I recommend starting with the gummies and taking half of one 30 minutes before bed and see how it feels. The next night, do the same amount or go even further to really connect with your subconscious in the dream world. I can confidently tell you that I have tried and love all of the HBH products, which is why I literally asked them to sponsor my podcast. I know, it's sick. So if you want to get in on the CBD life, head over to happybudahemp.com and use the code BEYOND for 30% off. Again, it's 30% off at happybudahemp.com using the code BEYOND. This works for all of the products, Carol. So go ham and have a good day. (laughs) Welcome back, my babies. Now that we're on the same page with what the return to Saturn is, I wanted to chat with a good friend of mine and see if he also had a tumultuous time during his return to Saturn. And it just so happens that the person we're chatting with was one of those gays in the elevator during my return to Saturn.
3: Has New your return to Saturn when you're 28? Um, it happens in between 28 and 30. <laughs> Men already dead. Side.
0: And that's me chatting in the studio with the one, the
3: only, the superstar comedian, okay, the Pat Regan. <laughs> okay. I'm, my biggest curse of my life is I'm so funny right before the pod and then turns on I'm like so not funny. Well, I can promise
0: you we're going to use that. Okay, cool. Okay. Wait, is this all recording?
3: <laughs> yep. Are you stupid, stupid slut?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and before I asked Pat to share his return to Saturn story, I needed to know what he remembered from being in the elevator during my
3: traumatic return that's to that's Saturn. To and I remember um, I brought BSJ. Brandon Scott Jones. Uh-huh. And we got there. It was fun. And we were having fun chatting with the LA gays. I didn't know. And um, so then we go to go out. We all get in the elevator. It's close quarters, and um, and then it stopped. And this is what I, this is, and I've been trapped in an elevator subsequently to this, and so I am kind of like an expert in that arena. And what, what uh, when someone tells you they got stuck in an elevator and they're acting like it's so traumatic, I'm always like, okay, well, like it was fine. You like got out. Like it's not mm-hmm. a big deal. But when you're trapped in an elevator, you don't know yet that you're gonna get out, and you start feeling like. What if I never get out of this elevator? Mm-hmm. And it's panicky. And also, you always think that button you press is like someone in the building that can like start the elevator again, but it's like the fire department, like not in the building, who will come like when they feel like it. Mm-hmm. And we waited for a long time and I had to pee. You had to pee? Yeah. And some people were joking, and some people were. I remember you were stressed. What was I
0: like in that moment in the elevator?
3: Let me remember. Let me remember. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You were, you were like, guys, stop joking. This is serious. This is bad. But also, like, what? First, it was like chill and funny because we were like, oh, what a fun story. But then time passed, like, and it was like, now this is getting serious. And then it really hit the fan when the fire department got there because you think they're just gonna like again, like, hack into the mainframe and, like, fix the elevator. (laughs) But we can put a man on the moon, but our best way of dealing with a group of gay men trapped in an elevator is to just start axing down doors, <laughs> like, not even connected with the incident. Like, they were just ax- we just, like, heard doors being axed down, and then they axed down the door of the elevator, like, last for no... I don't know what they're... I'm sure the men and women of the New York Fire Department are heroes, and I celebrate them each and every day, but their choices that day were confusing to me, and, um and so the we asked down and I just remember getting out of the elevator and we thought this was this big like celebratory moment but everyone in the whole apartment building was so pissed off and it was this group of gay men um walking downstairs and just like straight on gay pride and just like straight it was just weirdly triggering like a lot of straight people were just like furious standing outside their Apartment screaming, screaming at us. At no, us. it was insane. And like I do understand, there. I mean, there was people whose like doors just got axed down for no reason. But that wasn't really our fault. Like they um, and it also like seemed like we were probably having a bigger party than we were having. And also um, I did find it funny. But I sense that you were getting anxiety.
0: So Pat's recollection of my return to Saturn is, I guess, a little less traumatic because Pat got out of that elevator and kept living his life. But. What I didn't know at the time was Pat was about to start a time in his life that was very difficult and could have been
3: the start to his return to Saturn. I got sober the first time I tried to get sober right after I turned 27 and it stuck for like maybe two months. And then I had like a nine to 10 month like hellish relapse. And that at that point when that that like beat the shit out of me and then that made me so exhausted that I like truly did not have the energy to keep going. And then I got sober again and then I got sober again right after my 28th birthday. And that has stuck subsequently. I'll celebrate two years at the Mm. end of this month. That's big. Congrats, Mm -hmm. Pat. Thank you. (laughs) Now I'm aging myself. Fiance, I'm over 30 (laughs) for sure. (laughs) And then guess what? That's okay. (laughs) Um, Pat went on to
0: set the scene for what he was specifically struggling with during this time in his late 20s.
3: So I would be up for like, I would always take, start, using at like 9 a.m. And I'd be like, this is going to be the time I just like, um, I take something now. It'll like wear off by like six and mm-hmm. I will go to bed at a normal time and be normal. And then as soon as it hit, like, as soon as I got that like euphoria or that like happiness that I was searching for, I would be like, and then when I would feel it starting to go away. It would be like panic or like, I can't, this can't end. Like, um, I will do anything right now mm-hmm. to keep this from ending. So one night I was like up for a couple of days. I did Lloyd night, absolutely slaughtered.
0: Lloyd night. For those of you that don't know is an improv comedy show in New York every Wednesday night at the
3: UCB theater in the East village. Quick plug for UCB. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I had taken a handful of Ambien for when I was coming down and I, um, didn't have a place at this point. So I'd, I, I mean, I had taken it, like I'd put it in my pocket and um, for when I wanted to not be awake anymore. And, um, so i was super strung out had done a show was crashing on the couch of my college friend um who was on my cross-country team and i who lived on the upper east side and i was like on her couch took a bunch of Ambien. like was like okay cool this will end now And next thing i know flash memory i'm like standing in a store like a retail space it's like 5 a.m i'm not wearing shoes and um, I'm like in what I had slept in and there's like a man yelling at me and he's like get out of here get out of here do you want me to call the police and I was like no don't call the police and he was like he was like what did you take what drugs are you on and I was like I'm not on drugs he's like yes you are blackout don't remember the next like little bit next thing I remember I'm like walking around the Upper East Side like with no shoes with no phone with no wallet it's like sun's rising and then I somehow don't remember like flashback i'm like at the door of her apartment again if now after 9 a.m she's gone to work i don't have shoes a phone or a wallet and i'm like it's hot out and i am my i'm dirty and i like i just i guess was on too much weird shit and just like amnesia just like woke up and left her apartment for some reason and spent that whole day like out like just being that person on the street asking people to use their phone like no one's making eye contact with me like being like hey I'm sorry can I just and um, and I was like I have to get inside and I um, my feet had like blisters on them so I was like walking around and had to like go into stores and ask to use their phone trying to call my I didn't know her number I called, trying to call my brother asking him to get con- like in that and my family was like, getting these like that was a normal thing where my family was getting these calls I was like hey I'm outside I don't can you get in touch with Courtney and like tell her I'm outside her apartment like she was at work my brother got in contact with her and she was like, I'll come after. Like I had to, I just stayed outside on her stoop, like kind of, I was trying to get in, I, I was trying to get in touch with her. My brother got in touch with her eventually. And like, I was going into like an, an AT&T store. There's this nice guy who would like, let me come in and use their phone. And, um, I'll just never forget the looks. I can't like, when people come up to me on the street for change now, it's like a whole different experience. Cause like, I've just like been that person that was like crazy. And people like looked away from, and like, you feel that like derision in their eyes and it's it's I'll never forget that feeling it was so intense and like um and I was hallucinating like I kept thinking I saw people I knew and I was hiding from them and I, I think looking back it wasn't them you know, it was like, weird random people from like my my past I was like oh my god why are they on the Upper East Side and I was like, hiding so they didn't see me and um eventually my friend came back my brother my friend was like well i can't go back i'm at work and so she got off work at maybe five and like let me into her apartment and i like i then like got tall boys and like drank in a park and like um after i got my shoes and then i went to went to like a birthday drinks thing and then I didn't know where I was staying. I I couldn't. I ended up sleeping on the sidewalk the next night in front of Mount Saint Carmel Church in Williamsburg. Just like I was, just like I don't have anywhere to sleep. I'm just going to sleep on the sidewalk, and I did. And um. And then I found this sectional sofa. Someone was throwing out on the curb, and I slept on that for a bit.
0: Only you would find a section to sleep on. I have (laughs) standards, and um, but I
3: was like, I hope this doesn't affect bugs. And then, like my brother woke up because he was going to work, and I slept in his bed while he was at work. Cause I like, um, but yeah, it was this weird place where like everyone in my or everyone around me was like, "What is going on? Like, what do we do?"
0: And I went on to ask Pat if he could think of what his return to Saturn moment was, like if he had a moment in his life around this time where his life shifted course completely.
3: Two Thanksgivings ago had a truly insane Thanksgiving with my family where I'd like stolen a bunch of pills from different members of my family and like kind of got like caught down on it. And it was just this thing of, and then it felt like none of my friends really, I couldn't connect with any of my friends anymore. I was so alone. I was, and that I was back to the place of not sleeping and I was so tired. I couldn't, I, it felt like I literally couldn't go forward. And I remember, I think we literally had a phone conversation that Thanksgiving Do you remember this? Uh I I don't remember that Thanksgiving. Did it be?
0: We had a phone conversation.
3: I had a call out to the person I bought drugs from, and I was going – I'd paid him in advance, which is rare for me, and he was, like, fucking me over, I thought, but I was like, I need to get those drugs, and he wasn't – he was, like – he wasn't calling me back. He blocked my number, and he was keeping my money, and I was, like, so pissed because I was so poor, and I was, like – um. I remember the next thinking I had to go away to a place, but I didn't have health insurance, and I didn't have money, and I was like, I, I can't afford rehab. Um, but I thought there was like sober houses or something I could get into, like. And I was gonna go away to. I decided Connecticut very randomly, and I um, and then I just went to this meeting behind my old high school because I was home at noon and um, a meeting for a recovery program, and I remembered I'd been there when I when I had been briefly sober in the past and I remembered some people from it that I liked and I remember that there were cheese and crackers there and I um went and I talked to the people and I ended up not drinking or using that day and then I had like one day and then um, the next day I went back to get more cheese and crackers and then I had two days and um, and it's crazy, early sobriety is so fucking crazy you feel so insane and you you feel like a raw nerve and like you can't think straight uh, I would say I remember the first like 21 days I would like truly shower five times a day go to two meetings and run like twice and I like would just try to get through the day um like fill up the time and um and I thought I was never going to do comedy again I was like I don't like the person that I became in that in that in that world and I just had no idea what was next and I didn't have an apartment, I had no money. Um and I really thought if this drug dealer calls and like he's like not fucking me over, I'm going to go meet him and that'll be that. And then he never called and then like at day like somewhere between somewhere after like 2 weeks, I was just like cuz it's it's so hard. I had had a couple days during those last 9 months where I thought maybe maybe I didn't have to do that anymore and um and then it just then it I, it fell apart, and um, getting t- two weeks felt like the real start of something. And so I was like, "That I remember like having a moment. I remember finding a pill in my childhood bedroom that I'd hidden or something like a handful. And uh, I just had this. Feel, I was I had eight days, and I remember being like, "If I take this, I might never have eight days again." And um, I remember. It, Flushing it down the toilet, like, but like being afraid to even touch it, like touching it and running to the toilet because I was so afraid of that I would take it because I wanted to. And as soon as I flushed it, I was like, fuck, like, why did I do that? Like, I regret that. And, um, I don't know, it just gets easier, but I, um, but that was, and then I was sober and then I slowly, very, very slowly started doing comedy again. And, um, and, for me, the key has been like, don't think like just if I notice myself thinking I have to tell myself to stop because every thought I have is truly like a panic signal, like um, the world is ending tomorrow, like everything's about to fall apart. And the truth is, I don't know the future and I like think I do and I think it's bad. Like I, I always think tomorrow is the worst day of my life. And um, so I just can't think or else I get really sad. And uh, and I want to alleviate that with drugs or alcohol. And, um, and yeah, so I just stay in the day and like things have come together, not on my own timeline, not how I think they should, but I can't deny that things are better than how they used to be. I want to, my brain will try to f- twist it and like make it seem like things aren't getting better and like, um, that this is all a waste or that I'm not good enough for like, uh, but things are getting better. That's Pat's
0: story. And if you heard the next 20 seconds of us in the studio chatting, you would have heard me cry, followed by Pat consoling me. I took it out. But I told you about it right now for transparency, because, babe, you got to be on. I also thanked Pat for sharing something so personal. And as I felt with the elevator, something made me think that this drug dealer who never got back in touch with Pat was not just a coincidence. I genuinely felt listening to Pat like there was something bigger at play. The stars, source energy, my grandpa Bob, who knows? Something. It just felt a bit too random to be a coincidence. Or maybe it was. But Pat's actions to go to that first meeting, go back for the cheese and crackers the next day, and flush that final pill he found down the toilet, it felt like Saturn was at play. So I had to ask Pat, when, where, and what time he was born. To double check with his stars and a Saturn return generator website I found on Google because this story to me sounds like a Saturn return. But I had to check with the stars and see if they think. So I'm scared. It would have started December. Your return started end of November 2016.
3: My sobriety date is November 28th, 2016. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, huh?
0: <laughs> I guess astrology is real, bitch. <laughs> that's
3: crazy. Wow. And it finished,
0: so It like got you back into, like it kind of reset. So yeah, the return whole... is like, for some people, it's like a year. For some people, it's a month. But yours is a year that took you from dis- the end of November 2016 through December 10th, 2017. Yeah, that's like my
3: first year of sobriety.
0: So now my question is, do you believe in the return
3: to Saturn? Mm-hmm. You do? Yeah, I do. Yes!
0: Why
2: not?
3: Why not? Why not? In this town, anything's possible.
0: Well, there you have it. In this town, anything's possible. I thanked Pat for being a part of this and being so open and for pointing out that in this town, I can do whatever I want. After chatting with Pat, Stephanie Iris Rice, and some other friends about this concept... It felt like the Saturn return was more significant than a weekly horoscope, although we love a weekly horoscope. And it did seem like whether people were aware of it or not, this was something that will or has already affected their life. Now, when we were starting to put this episode together, I knew that I would tell the story about my time working for Lauren. And I had initially thought that it would be a small part of the episode, but... As you have it, one day I'm in the studio working on putting this episode together and I get a Facebook message. From who? Lauren, my old boss. Lauren heard the witchcraft episode, the one in which Andrew and I talk about our struggle with rehoming our rescue dog, Curtis. She wrote me a beautiful message on Facebook and it gave me chills. Chills not only because it was so kind of her to be listening to the pod, but chills because I was actively in that moment thinking about her as I was planning how to tell my Saturn return story. Because Andrew says I connect loose dots, I didn't think this was a coincidence. I felt like this was a sign from the Yoon to include Lauren in the app. So, babe, I reached out to Lauren, and I asked if she would be my guest on the episode so we could chat about... What it was like from her point of view, hiring and firing me. And also maybe if she had a time in her late 20s where the course of her life changed dramatically. Maybe being her Saturn return. So what you're going to hear now is me calling my old boss who fired me, Lauren. Hello? Lauren? Hey. Hey, it's Mike. How are you? I'm good. How are you?
2: Good.
0: I got it. I I don't know why. I mean, I sent you that long email yesterday, but I was still like nervous to call you, which is so crazy. <laughs> <You're>
2: so <funny>. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad we're going to clear the air because I don't want you thinking like that.
0: You're the best. So this whole episode is all about kind of those things in life that take you off course or on course. And I've never asked you what it was like to fire me, basically. <laughs> um And from your perspective, I would love to hear kind of what that was like for you. I'm sure it wasn't easy.
2: No, it wasn't. It was heartbreaking, right? Because, I mean, although you worked for me, I think in my heart, you were most importantly, my friend. And mm-hmm. um I think one of the reasons I loved working with you was because actually a lot of time we weren't working and we were having fun in my office and you were telling me jokes and, or telling me stories about like what had happened at whatever, UCB that weekend or, you know, or this audition you went on, or this new video you were making. And, um, and it was just, you know, you were like one of the most delightful parts of my daily routine back then. and so. it kind of felt like one of those really, uh, difficult breakups, like with a boyfriend of sorts, you know, like where you're like, okay, you know, he's cheated on me or he's lied to me or he's done this thing that, you know, in my head, I know this relationship can't continue the way it is, you know, cause I need to be able to, trust the person in this position who's, you know, got all access to all my credit cards and my bank accounts and all these things. Right. But in my heart, I didn't want to give you up. I mean, you know, selfishly, although I knew you were destined for much greater things than that job. Um, and I knew that from the day I offered it to you, Mm -hmm. but I, I didn't, you know, I, I was really, really sad to see it end. I mean, and I, I think I went through like a serious mourning for a long time, you know, because you were an important part of my my life. Mm-hmm. But I will say, and I, I know I said this to you then, as hard as it was to let you go, um, I knew it had to happen. I knew that day was going to come. I did feel some residual guilt, like looking back on it. I remember thinking like, this, is, this isn't this is the right job for him, but if he wants it and we're going to have fun doing it, okay. <laughs> and, and we I did. And we did have fun and you were tremendously helpful at a time when I desperately needed, you know, support.
0: There was a time, probably the last year of the job, I was writing emails to you saying that I loved you and loved our friendship, but wanted to f- spend more time working on other things. But I saved them in yeah. the drafts of my Outlook, and I. Oh, no, you didn't. Yes, I did. <laughs> I did.
2: That's so funny. I, I never did. got them.
0: You never got them. I I wrote three of them in the last year, and you had brought up a couple times. Are you happy? You said, you know, you and Alex. I remember had a conversation with me at one time talking about this guy you met on a trip where his whole job was to curate these tours and he seemed so happy. And I thought you were like trying to translate to me of like, we don't think you're happy, but you were saying it in a way that was like, we saw this guy who was doing something unorthodox or like, you know, a little bit different, not down a, a normal path, but he was happy. And so I felt that coming from you and I also felt it, but I didn't send it cause I was scared. And, and I almost feel like the elevator was like, was like, we're going to fuck with this guy. Like, we're going to be like, you know what, we're going to make this, we're going to fuck this up for this guy. And it really did end it ended <laughs> in like, a, like a bit of a tumultuous way. And it was universe, you know, whether you want to believe, whether I want to believe this or not, reaching, out. reaching yeah. out to be like, Hey, we need to help you. We need to like kind of set you on course. And it offered me like a little bit of peace because you know there's definitely like guilt with that situation and and i i take full responsibility for it and i you know you should have fired me you definitely should have been like this is not this is not the person to be doing this for me at the time you know
2: yeah it <laughs> i do think if you if you had been you know just standing back objectively like if you had been in love with your job mm-hmm. right like, this was your path, this was your, you know, you were going to, that was going to be your career, I don't think you ever would have taken that chance, right, with having a party in our apartment and cramming <laughs> 10 people into the elevator and all that stuff. I mean, you just wouldn't, right? Because you'd be too afraid of losing your job. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think, you know, it, it was definitely a message to me, you know, that this is, this was not a job you really were. You may have cared about me and our friendship, but the job itself was not a high priority, right? This was not your path. Um, Or you wouldn't have jeopardized it that way, right? Like if, if you had your dream, absolute dream job, you never, you just wouldn't make those decisions. You'd be too, you know, afraid of putting it into at risk.
0: Wow. This call is incredibly cathartic. And refreshing for me. And I loved hearing from Lauren's point of view, which made me realize that all of those things I was feeling during the time working for her, she was feeling too. But none of us were saying anything because we were friends, which is kind of like beautiful. Sorry, I'm going to say it. It was beautiful. And you know what? I think she was right. I probably would not have had the party if I was extremely happy with the job. So I feel like, in a way, I opened the door for Saturn. And then Saturn stopped that elevator. But I did still have one question for Lauren. I needed to know if she also had a Saturn return. So, babe, you know
2: I asked. It's fascinating because I was not aware of the return to Saturn, but I actually looked it up and it is a fascinating thing. And I remember in my late 20s, I was living in Paris and uh, in banking. And I had a couple of different banking jobs. And the last one was, it was effectively a sales job, right? it was working Mm -hmm. for an asset manager, selling like fund investments. And I just hated it. I was never a salesperson. And I mean, (laughs) and it just, I got to that point where I was like, I I can't do this for the rest of my life. What am I going to do? Um, And it, it just kept gnawing at me. And, you know, although I was making a living and surviving and, Paris which was lovely um, it, it there was just this like pull right of like you need to do something else and it can't be this <laughs> so figure it out <laughs> um, and I ended up signing up for the LSAT and somehow managed to take the LSAT in Paris uh, so I could go to law school which you know I basically finally returned to what I'd always wanted to do since I was in high school which was be a lawyer mm. um, and and I ended up being an older student when I went back because I think I was 28 or 29 when I started, but, um, it was the right time. And, and I remember talking to like my grandmother at the time who said, oh, you know, that's crazy going back to law school. You're going to be giving up income for three years and it's so expensive and it's nuts. But I, I knew like, I finally just started listening to what, like I'd felt inside my heart and soul, mm-hmm. which was I wanted to be a lawyer and even if it was, I mean, now it doesn't seem late in life, but at the time, Mm -hmm. you know, making that career shift completely was a big deal and a big investment, but you know, it's, it's thanks to that, you know, and I finally, when I graduated, I was 31, I want to say, or or almost 31. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I had to start as a first year associate with a bunch of, Twenty-two-year-olds um, <laughs> right in a Wall Street firm, which was brutal, but um, but it got me on my path. You know, like it got me to where I am now, and, and I can't imagine doing anything else. What's fascinating too is, and I only know think of this because of what I read about what the Return of Saturn is all about. Is it also coincided with dumping a bad two-year relationship? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I was. You know. In living with a French pilot, and who was like one of the great loves of my life, but I knew for various reasons that it was not for the long term. But I had a really hard time giving it up, and then finally, I it was kind of like that moment where you're like, I need to sort my life out. Like this is not this is not my lifelong relationship. This is not my lifelong career. I've got to change it all up, (laughs) you know. Um, And so, yeah, finally got out of that and then got out of my job and was able to just start a whole, whole new chapter. Um, And it was, I'm like very grateful looking back on it that, you know, the universe or whatever it was gave me the fortitude to actually make those changes because I could have very easily just gone along with it, you know, Mm -hmm. like right and make do and make excuses or make sacrifices But something just
0: said, no, this is. You listened to your instincts because if you had not, I bet the universe would have got you caught in the elevator with 11 gay men. (laughs) (laughs) That's what would have happened to you, Lauren.
2: (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) Lauren and I laughed about something I thought would never be funny between the two of us. I realized that Lauren was not only aware of the situation, but actively thought about it even upon first hiring me. She knew it wasn't the perfect fit, but I was the one who convinced her to hire me. And I was the one who told her it would be a good job for me. And for a while, it was. I find it funny that we remember things based on the way that they ended, but chatting with Lauren was a really good and helpful reminder that we did have a lot of fun working together. And we did have a very special friendship. One that after doing this entire episode I've decided I'm going to actively slowly and respectfully try and rebuild. After this call with Lauren, I don't think I was as off track as I initially thought when starting this episode. I think it was a good job for me for a while. But I do think I should have followed my gut and quit when I started writing those email drafts. But I did a normal thing, which is I let fear make my decisions. Will I hurt her feelings? How will I pay my rent? Where will I throw rooftop parties? That last one was definitely a joke. But I am glad that I convinced Lauren to hire me. And at the very least, because I got a good friend out of it. One who would years later do my podcast and talk about firing me. Not only that, but guess what? She also had a Saturn return. And a pretty wild one at that. She literally moved across the world and changed the course of her career, which was her life. Now, I know that all of this stuff is not an exact science. And for people that were looking for this episode to be a lesson on astrological houses and degrees and planets going direct and Merck and Ratch, I'm sorry, but I'm an Aquarius and I don't follow rules. I do think that the Saturn return is a thing. It's a real thing that I think affects all of us whether we want to believe it or not. I think it's probably helpful to get a reading to just like be aware of when these dates are, especially if you're in your mid to late 20s. I also think you should book a session with Stephanie Iris Weiss, who was incredible, and I wish that we could have fit more of her interview into this pod, but we ended up kind of rechanging the episode and, and telling a different story. But her info is in the episode description, and babe, you should book. And finally, if you're listening to this episode of this podcast that maybe you stumbled upon and you're thinking, oh my god, I needed to hear this because my life is a mess and I might be returning to Saturn, I have to tell you that, babe, it's going to be okay. Life is fucking messy, regardless of where Saturn is. And whenever things feel like they cannot get worse, they definitely can, but then they always get better. Time has a really funny way of making shit smell not so much like shit, which is literally and figuratively what time will do to shit. And finally, finally, I think it's important to say that this episode is being released while Merck is in retch. So if this episode on your phone cut out or maybe the service in your phone cut out while listening to this episode Babe, I think we know why.
3: Goodbye.
2: Forever.
3: Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey.